0: If you've been around Hillcrest for a while, you know that over the last many months, uh, we've been engaged in a concerted effort to, uh, as we phrased it, create a culture where disciples make disciples. Not where the pastor makes disciples or the staff makes disciples, but where everybody is engaged in an intentional concerted effort to actually be and do the great commission of our King which, of course, is to go and make disciples of all the nations. And, of course, that's a charge that our Lord Jesus Christ gave not just to apostles. He gave it to all of his disciples just before his ascension. And because that is, of course, plan A for this and uh, and every local church, it's going to continue to be an ongoing emphasis in our church for many, many years to come. Disciples making disciples. Because, frankly, that's the whole purpose that the Lord has saved us and left us here. But a critical and indispensable part of disciple-making is what we call evangelism. Evangelism is kind of a big two-dollar word. It simply means telling others about Jesus. Telling others about who Jesus is and what Jesus alone can do. Sometimes we call it witnessing or sometimes we call it Sharing the gospel or sharing your faith. And in order to be a disciple who follows after Jesus Christ, you need to be a part of being a disciple as being engaged in some way, shape, or form in this ministry of being an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, of sharing what the Lord has done for you so that others can clearly hear and understand the gospel and be saved. Jesus told his earliest disciples, in the early parts of the Gospels. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. As Adrian Rogers used to say, if you're not fishing for men and women, you're not following Jesus Christ. Because Jesus calls us to become fishermen, land fishermen, as it were, fishing for a harvest of souls as we together wait on Jesus to come again. So with that in mind, Uh, And in order to keep things just as simple as we possibly can for the next few weeks at Hillcrest, we're going to be asking all of y'all, all all of our people at Hillcrest, at both campuses, one simple question. Here it is. Who's your one? Who's your one? Now, if you were here Wednesday night at our all-church night of prayer and praise, you know that uh, this was an emphasis that we introduced uh, on Wednesday night. It's become a major push throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, as you just heard on the screen a moment ago. And the goal in this who's your one emphasis is really very simple. The goal is for every born-again disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in the work of Christ, would you say amen this morning? All right, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to some kids who aren't even in the room today who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Regardless of age, the goal very simply is for you as we begin this new year to identify one person you know is lost, far from God. could be in your family. could be someone you work with, someone in your neighborhood, someone you've known a long time, someone you've just met. I have a feeling that the great majority of people in the room today, boom, all I have to do is say that, and immediately somebody has come to your mind. Perhaps that's who the Lord will lay on your heart. We want you to identify that person. And then having identified that person, we want you to make a commitment to pray for them for as long as it takes. For some, they may pray a week. God will stir their heart. For some, they may pray a month, six months, a year, five years, ever how long it takes. If that person is someone you know, you pray for them, build relational bridges with them, and then be willing to, as God opens doors of opportunity, as we talked about last Sunday, to be willing to share the gospel with them as the Lord gives you those opportunities. For these next four weeks, beginning this Sunday, we're starting a preaching series toward that end, simply calling it Who's Your One? And in this Who's Your One series, we're going to be focusing our preaching around the gospel itself on the one hand and the importance of sharing it with others on the other. The word gospel is a very familiar word. You don't even have to be saved to be familiar with the word gospel. It's a commonly used word, one of the most familiar words in the Christian vocabulary. In fact, not only is it one of the most familiar words in the Christian vocabulary, it's also one of the most misunderstood words in our vocabulary. And here's what I know about the gospel. You can't effectively share the gospel if you have a faulty understanding of the gospel. Everybody tracking with me? If you're going to effectively share the gospel, you have to clearly understand the gospel. So with that in mind, in order to be clear about the gospel, I can think of no better place to start than with this subject today, message that I've entitled, let's be clear about the gospel. And in order to be clear in terms of our understanding about the gospel, I can't think of a better place to go than the greatest explanation of the gospel anywhere in the Bible, which is Paul's Letter to the Romans, the greatest letter that's ever been written in all of human history. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, the most concise explanation of the gospel that you find anywhere in the Bible is in Paul's introduction to his most important letter, Romans chapter 1 and the first six verses. May we read it this morning together, Romans 1 beginning in verse number 1. I'll read and you follow along. Words will be on the, the screens if you need them. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Man, I just love that passage of Scripture. That's the gospel in a nutshell right there. Father, would you bless the reading of your word this morning, and would you go before us by your Holy Spirit so that our words, like your word, would be profitable and meaningful, hide us behind the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, That everyone may clearly hear the word of God and see and have a vision of Jesus high and lifted up and the wonderful work that he has done so that we can live forever in a relationship with Almighty God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, most people probably in the room today understand to some degree the concept of the gospel. It's a word that means what? The gospel means what? Good news, good message, glad tidings. And it was a very common term in first century Rome, particularly when it came to good news regarding the emperor. And that's the only kind of news, by the way, that would have been publicly broadcast. You didn't broadcast bad news about the emperor. That could cost you your head. And so whenever there was good news to proclaim about the emperor, good news from the emperor, there'd be a town crier or a city herald of some kind that would have a designated spot in a prominent traffic center of the city, and that person would shout aloud the good news. Maybe the emperor had won a great victory in battle, or maybe there had been a birth in the emperor's household, or maybe the emperor had become a grandfather, whatever the case might be. Those glad tidings, that good news, would be publicly heralded, publicly announced, and that's what the word means. Biblically, you see a great example of that, in the birth announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're there in Luke chapter 2. We're told that this angelic host appeared to those common everyday shepherds out in Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel said to them, what? Fear not, for behold, I bring you, what? Good news of great joy that shall be for all people. And here's the good news, for unto you, Is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, in a very real sense, what they did was they just gave the shepherds the gospel in a very tight knit, compact, terse kind of way. For unto you comes this day to the world, born in the city of David, a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, as far as biblical descriptions about the gospel, to get a clear understanding of what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, again, you can't get a better understanding than this introduction to Paul's letter of uh, the Romans, and this introduction gives us a very concise description of the gospel. So that's what I want to do today as we begin this who's your one emphasis Because if you're going to share your faith, you better understand what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. Because remember, in that last section on Colossians that we looked at last Sunday, what was Paul's prayer to the church at Colossa? Pray for us that I may make the gospel what? Clear. So let's learn how to do that together. Because if you don't do that, the likelihood of people becoming saved is not very good, all right? Let me give you three things from this opening salvo into Paul's letter to the Romans. First of all, the gospel is the good news from God. Let's put it another way. The gospel begins with God, and Paul's very specific here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, right out of the gate there, one of the things that Paul wants to make clear is that the gospel really isn't anything new. In fact, the gospel is kind of a timeless thing. It had been on the heart and mind of God for all of eternity. The gospel is not something that some clever thinker or some great philosopher from the Greco-Roman world thought up and pieced together. No, the gospel begins with God and how God has taken the initiative to draw a lost, sinful, broken, backward humanity back into a right relationship with himself. And you see, that's important because the reason that we need the good news of the gospel is because apart from God, we exist in a state of bad news because of sin. Sin and the presence of sin and the curse of sin and the stain of sin is the bad news of our existence from the time we come into the world, and it's why we need some good news. Because apart from that, we're bound up in sin, lost in sin, separated from God, without hope and without life in the world or in eternity to come. Paul says that later <clears throat> in Romans chapter 3. For all have what? Sinned. That doesn't leave anybody out. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep, the prophet said, have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray, and every one of us is turned to his own way. So we all come into this world under a curse. We have our original parents, grandparents, Adam and Eve, to think, uh, thank for that. We inherit this sinful condition because of their decision to go their own way in the Garden of Eden. And that sinful condition is what separates us from God. It's what causes us to be lost. It's what causes us to exist far from God. And here's the thing about that. You don't have what it takes to climb your way back to a holy God. This is what we call the great human dilemma. We're lost and we're far from God and no amount of human effort, no amount of human goodness can ever overcome this eternal gulf that separates sinful human beings from a holy God. I'm here to tell you this morning that, my friend, is an insurmountable barrier that can never be crossed unless God comes to us. And the gospel is good news because that's exactly what God decided to do. The gospel is good news because God, from a heart of love and compassion and mercy and grace and tenderness, makes a decision to come to us in our brokenness when our brokenness prohibits our coming to him. Even in the face of sin, even in the face of guilt, even in the face of shame, God has acted in love to make a way back to himself. When we couldn't climb our way to God, couldn't build our way to God, couldn't swim our way to God, couldn't walk our way to God, couldn't build our own bridge back to God because of the brokenness caused by sin, God built a bridge to us in the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel of God. It's explained in a very powerful way one of the great passages of scripture, Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians 2 is without a doubt one of the top five or six or ten chapters in all the Bible in terms of its power, in terms of its importance to believing people. Look at what the Bible says. This is the Apostle Paul as well. Ephesians 2, 1 and following. Skip around, watch the screen. And you were dead. You were what? Say it out loud. You were dead. Dead in what? In the transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Verse 3. And you were by nature children of wrath. Children of what? Children of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. That's right. Under the wrath of God because of sin, separated from God, under a curse, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, two of the greatest words of the Bible. But God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, not of yourselves, it is the what? Say it out loud, please. The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There'll be no bragging when you and I get to heaven, only bragging about what Jesus has done to pave a way so we could get there. That's a good place for an amen, a good place for an amen. We'll be boasting about Jesus, but not about ourselves. Because unless God comes to us in our deadness to sin because of sin, we have no hope and are forever lost. But God did come. He did send his only begotten son to save the world. And that's the gospel. I was dead in my transgressions and sins, powerless and helpless, but God, motivated by a heart of love, God acted in mercy and grace and made a way to restore the broken relationship. There's a biblical word that describes that. It's called reconciliation, and only God can do it. It's the greatest need of your life, forgiveness and reconciliation with God, and God's the only one that can make it happen. And that's why the gospel is God's good news, good news to a lost world. This is, by the way, one of the reasons that we spend a lot of time when we Christians gather together in worship. This is why we spend a lot of time singing. This is why singing is a big deal in worship. Because we have a joyful song to sing, do we not? We have a reason to sing. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just here to say, thank God we've got something to sing about. We're not the only religious group in the world that sings, but I'm telling you, as you think about it and as you listen to it, There's a lot of religious groups that even though they sing, they sing kind of in a wailing, mournful kind of way. Sometimes it's nothing but a bunch of repetitive chants over and over in a minor key. I'm thankful that God has given us a reason to sing in a major key. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The gospel begins with God. That's what Paul says. He is a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You got it? Say amen. Amen. All right. It begins with God. But secondly, notice that the gospel is good news about Jesus. The gospel is from God, initiated by God, But it has everything to do with God the Son. Paul describes himself here in the opening of Romans as set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Say those three words together with me, together. Concerning his son. Say it again. Concerning his son. You see, the reason that's important is because the heart of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's no gospel without Jesus. Who he is, why he came, what he came to do. If you move a single millimeter away from Jesus Christ, you abandon and obliterate the gospel itself. Take Jesus out, there is no gospel, there is no good news. And this is why if you share your faith with somebody and you talk about your failures and you talk about your guilt and even if you talk about God's love and new horizons and new opportunities and joy in the journey that was never there before, all of that is well and good. But if you never get around to talking to other people about Jesus, if Jesus never comes up, can I just say it this morning? You've done a lot of stuff, but you haven't shared the gospel. If the name of Jesus Christ is never mentioned, there is no gospel sharing. There is no gospel witness because the gospel is from God concerning his son. Now, if you want clarity about what Jesus means to the gospel, let me take you to another passage of Scripture. Again, from the apostle Paul who, again, his ministry was all about the gospel. So you see the gospel in everything the man ever wrote. This time to 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the important statements about the gospel concerning Christ that you find anywhere in the Bible. Let's read it, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Can we just begin, guys, in verse number three, and let's read that all out loud together. You ready? Together. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, this is an important statement because in it, Paul makes three absolute truths about Jesus and the centrality of Jesus to this thing we call the gospel of God. One is that Christ died for our sins. What about Jesus do I need to share with others that's critical to the gospel? Whether Jesus died for them, that he died for our sins, Sins. We're fresh off the Christmas season here at Hillcrest, and I'll never forget it. One Christmas, Sunday, somebody came up to me, right, standing right there after church was over, uh, and they said, Pastor, have you ever considered that Jesus is the only baby who actually chose to be born? And I said, well, that's a profound thought, and it's certainly true, but what makes it even more remarkable is that Jesus chose to be born knowing the purpose of his coming. That's what makes it remarkable because Jesus chose to be born knowing that his birth was purposive for a death. He was born to die. His birth was the beginning of a highway that would lead to a cross. And that's what makes... This action on the part of the coming of Christ, so very remarkably wonderful. The gospel is good news because we have a Savior, a man John the Baptist called the Lamb of God, who came to die in order to take away the sins of the world. That's what Paul will say in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. That's the first thing we understand about the crucial role of Jesus as it relates to the gospel. Christ died for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. But then the gospel we preach is good news, not only because Christ died, secondly, Christ was buried. Now, why the emphasis on the burial? Paul goes out of his way to mention the burial. Here's the word, finality. Finality. That's why emphasizing the burial is important. Because the Bible goes to great lengths to describe so that we understand, unlike many have purported through the years, the absolute certainty that Jesus really did die. That he didn't swoon on the cross. And when somebody came in there and put a cold compress on his head, he somehow revived back to life again. You try getting whipped with 39 Uh, lashes from a cat of nine tails and then beaten and bludgeoned and having your beard pulled out and a crown of thorns on your head and hanging on a cross for hours up on end and then having a spear riven to your side so that blood and water flows out, you have somebody do that to you and tell them that you didn't actually die. That's the whole point of the gospel, the certainty of the death of Jesus Christ, that he was beaten, that he was scourged, that he hung on a cross for hours, his spear was riven uh, by a, or his side was riven by a spear. Then Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus the Pharisee, asked for his body, anointed his body. Two of the smartest men on the planet at the time, anointing his body with 75 pounds of spices, carefully wrapping the body up. And we're supposed to believe that Jesus wasn't actually dead. Then put in a cut rock tomb uh, with a rock seal, placed over the entrance to the tomb. No, that's the Scripture's way of emphasizing that Jesus was dead and that he was buried, and the burial stresses the finality of it all. The burial puts a period on the death of Christ as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So as it's often said today, it was true with Jesus. Our Lord was dead and what? Buried. But then best of all, the gospel is good news because thirdly, Christ was raised from the dead. On the third day, just as he said, the apostle Peter preaching at Pentecost said it this way in Acts chapter 2. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know what the two most important words in that statement are? What are they? Not possible. Not possible. The earth could no longer uh, or no more hold Jesus in its belly than a pregnant woman could hold a baby in her belly for the long term. Now, the resurrection was proof that Jesus was who he said he was. It was proof that Jesus had done what he had come to do, proof that he'd accomplished the work that God had sent him to do, proof that power, the power of sin, had been forever broken through his resurrection. Paul says it here in Romans 1. Christ, verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So mark it down. The gospel is from God, <clears throat> but the gospel has everything to do with Christ. A Savior who died for our sins, who was buried, and who was raised on the third day in accordance with The scriptures. And then finally, the gospel is good news because it's for all people. Paul says it's the good news from God about Christ for everybody. This is the scope of the gospel, who the gospel is for. Paul says it here the gospel exists, verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among. All the nations. The word nations there is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos. We get our word what? Ethnic from it. Among all the ethnic peoples of the world, that's who the gospel is for. Sometimes that word is translated Gentiles. But the gospel, of course, is not only for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews. Later on in Romans 1, verse 16, Paul's gonna say that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew and also to the Gentiles. So the gospel is for everybody. It's universal. It's for all people everywhere. It's for the wise. It's for the foolish. It's for the sophisticated. It's for the uncouth. It was for the Roman. It was for the barbarian. It was for the educated. The gospel is for the illiterate. It's for everybody. The gospel is for all The nations. And here's the best part of what Paul says in the beginning of Romans including you. Amen. It's not just only for all of these other people. Thank God, Paul makes it personal. For the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Christ that's the Bible's way of making it very clear then as now that the gospel is for everybody are you a young person teenager young adult if that's the case here's the good news the gospel is for you you may be very young and in fact even though you are young you still need to know the gospel we don't know when a person has a cognizance a cognizance of sin so we're quick to share the gospel listen we share the gospel with bed babies over there they have scripture written over them Uh, or read over them in the preschool. We talk to kids about the gospel from the time that they do anything hardly beyond coming into the world. And even though you're young, you still need to be the gospel because as Spurgeon said one time, you might be young, but you're old enough to sin and you're old enough to die. And if you're old enough to sin and you're old enough to die, the gospel is for you. You need the gospel of Christ. You may be here as an older person. This morning. Maybe you are in the twilight years of your life. I've talked to a lot of older people. Most heartbroken I've ever been was leaving Missouri to come here with a guy that had faithfully been in my church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for 10 straight years. We had a lady in our church who married him knowing that he was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she made him promise. Because she'd been married twice before. Both of her previous two husbands had died. And both of those were unbelievers. Now, this was a godly woman. But you don't marry unbelievers. Everybody hear me say amen. That's unbiblical. But she did it. Because she believed she could win them to Jesus Christ. She did the first two. So she married a guy thinking, I've got a pretty good track record. And she was. She was a gospel testifying machine. But this guy was a tough nut to crack. She made him promise, you come to church with me whenever I go to church, I'll marry you. He made the promise, and he did. He fulfilled the promise. He was there, and I told him one time, I said, dude, this guy's 80 something years old, great big guy. I said, you have been exposed to more gospel preaching than anybody that I've ever known in my life to keep rejecting the gospel. And then we moved to Pensacola. And I don't know if the man ever came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. But in talking with him, he thought that his time was past. I've talked to a lot of older people who think that way. Too much water under the bridge. I'm too old. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Too late for change. Here's the deal. If that's the case and you're thinking that way, you need to know this morning the gospel is for you why in the world would anybody knowing the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you why would anybody wait another day when the last years of your life could be the best years of your life the best years of all you may be here this morning and maybe you're not from the western world maybe you're one of these ethnic people from other parts of the world. You're not an American. You don't speak English very well. And maybe you think, wrongfully I might add, that the gospel is an American thing. Can I just say this morning, most of the born-again Christians of the entire world are not from America. You don't have to be an American. The gospel is not an American thing. It's not a Western thing. It's not an Eastern thing. It's a God thing. It's a God thing, the God who made the world. And one thing that we cannot be, are y'all with me still? Say amen. amen. One thing we cannot be guilty of is wrapping the Bible and wrapping the gospel in an American flag. We stand up and salute the red, white, and blue, but can I say this morning, the gospel only bleeds one color, and that's red. Only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin and that's true whether you're red yellow black or white we're all precious in God's sight Jesus loves all the people of the world and so the angels were right on every count when they made that birth announcement the coming of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people so brothers and sisters at Hillcrest let's be clear about the gospel can we? The gospel is not believing that God exists. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not being a member of a church. The gospel is not observing religious ritual. The gospel is not doing good or even godly things. The gospel is not about ethnic heritage or about any family that you may have been privileged to be born into the gospel is not about having Christian parents or Christian grandparents. The gospel is not about having a bumper sticker that said, God is my co pilot. God has not, that's almost blasphemous to say that. God has no interest in being your co pilot, God is the pilot. He just wants you to get on board, get on board the love train. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> God, is my co-pilot. Give me a break. None of that stuff is the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news that God has done something for me for which I couldn't do anything about myself. That God has acted in love to send his only begotten son to take the punishment for my sin. The gospel is the good news that God has acted in love to deliver me from the bondage of sin unto an eternal and right relationship with Himself, and He's done it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The last thing I would mention this morning is that all of that makes a difference in your life by faith. Faith is the key. I believe that Christ died for the world. But I only believe that that death makes an eternal difference to those who respond to it in faith. That's what Paul says. He said, "I am a, an apostle called by the Lord Jesus for the gospel of God unto the obedience of faith." He preached the gospel, but with a clear intent in mind to see men, women, boys, and girls hear the gospel. And then believe the good news. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who what? Who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Faith is believing what God has done in Christ for you. That, brothers and sisters, is what the gospel is. It's why we call it good news. And we need to be very clear about it in these critical days as we wait on Christ to come again. This is the word of God, and let all who agree say amen this morning.